Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. Clackety clacks. Stop with the clackety clacks. Welcome back to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. I'm your host, Sam Gonzalez. We've seen a lot of movement in the race for governor in the past weeks, including Beto O'Rourke's address to the Texas Democratic Party convention. We're going to talk about a lot of the updates that happened from that convention today. And joining me today, we have Progress Texas President Ed Espinoza, Advocacy Director Diana Gomez, and Content Production Specialist Chris Mosier. Welcome, everybody, to the show. It's hot out there. Y'all handling the heat okay? Ed, you handling the heat all right? Trying to. I hit the trail early, earlier these days for my, my morning trail runs. But if I really want to beat the heat, I'm going to have to hit the trail at 4 a.m., which is not advisable. <laughs> a nice, cool 87 degrees at yeah. 3 a.m. That's actually probably real. Dan, how are you holding up over there? Holding up real well with a couple iced coffees a day, helping to cool me down. <laughs> It's the first time I've ever had iced coffees was this summer. I've been proud of the fact that I still drink hot coffee even during Texas summers, but nope. For the first time in 33 years, I'm switching to ice. That's an accomplishment to make it through this many summers without hitting iced coffee. I don't drink coffee at all. It's nice. Snaps all the time is my coffee. Chris, how you holding up? Man, I, I used to be that Austinite that I prided myself in waiting as long as I could through the summer to ever complain about the heat out loud. <laughs> <laughs> and I would usually make it to mid-August or so, but I've been complaining like crazy. So I've been thinking about switching to like an overnight schedule, like sleep all day and operate all night. Well, that's like smart. That, that's hard yeah. to do. A lot of people talking about this new sun. This new sun is a lot higher than it used to be when we were growing up. So we'll, we'll figure something out. Are there out two the of meantime. them like in Star Wars? Uh, it feels yeah, like you're here in Texas. Tatooine. Gosh, man, I look at two setting suns and then I start my adventures every morning. But <laughs> rising suns, I guess, uh, for that analogy. Anyway, things are heating up in the election. If you want to talk about heat, that's a terrible nice. segue, but I'm sticking, ah. transition. I'm sticking with it because... <laughs> I thought it was good. Because, Ed, there's some heat rising in uh, after the Democratic Convention, the Texas Democratic Convention. We were there, we passed out, and we love seeing everybody there. I wasn't there, but I'm sure Diana, Wesley, and Brett were so happy to see everybody. And for all those who came out to support us, appreciate y'all coming to our table, giving us the support, purchasing Humans Against Ted Cruz shirts, available at progresstexas.org. That said, Ed, there's some number changes here that are very important that people should be paying attention to that may have got lost. It was a quieter convention than the Republican one. That was a little bit crazy. But there's some good news, I hear. So uh, July 15th happened to be the day that all campaigns around the state had to file their quarterly financial reports. And it coincided with the Democratic Convention. It was not part of the Texas Democratic Convention. It was just happened to, to take place at the same time. Beto reported raising $27 million through June 30th. Now, that to, to give you an idea of how high that haul was, Greg Abbott reported raising $25 million. So Beto has now outraised an incumbent Republican governor in Texas. And to give you an idea of how long it's been since that happened, I asked Glenn Smith, our senior strategist here at Progress Texas, and for those who don't know, Glenn Smith also managed Ann Richards' campaign uh, in 1990, or as he likes to say, the winning one. And right. I asked him, when, when was the last time a Democrat had outraised a Republican statewide office? And he said it has been at least 30 years or more. So probably since Ann Richards or maybe even before her. So this is phenomenal. And I hope that this is, this is something that we can maintain. Now, uh, obviously, Greg Abbott has a large war chest that he is sitting on. But for Beto to be able to get to some parity in terms of what they're fundraising is a huge uh, uptick in, in progressive prospects for the 2022 election in Texas. I caught word that uh, there's a couple who lives here in Austin who themselves were responsible for $2 million oh, yeah. of that take. Uh, they each wrote a $1 million check apiece. Mm -hmm. And I was going, I, I don't have their names in front of me, and I wish I did. But uh, uh, when I saw their names, I thought, well, I've never heard of these people. Turns out they're brand new California transplants. They just moved <laughs> to Austin from Palo Alto. So wow. any of you progressives out there who would dare to complain about Californians coming to Texas, I think you should probably <laughs> shut up. Not right now. I was just uh, about to say that. I was about to say, you know what? Maybe Austin, Texas can welcome Californians as long as you bring <laughs> so. your checkbook, as long as your checkbook is that big. 
Yeah, so maybe Californians aren't so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Simone yeah. and Tench Cox, C-O-X-E, philanthropists and investors. Thank you, Simone and Tench. They each wrote, they wrote a million dollars. So it wasn't a one, one check for two million. It was one million from each of them. Very right. equitable on their right. part. Right. Exactly. But again, just want to emphasize, welcome to Californians with large million dollar checkbooks. Just repeating that. Come on in. <laughs> Come on in. The water's fine. <laughs> Actually, when there is water. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Yeah. oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> it's fine for now. <laughs> Goodness, folks. Besides their fat checks that they're bringing out, I mean, Beto's also doing well in some other areas as well. Um, there was two things, two conflict, not conflicting, but rather supporting polls that came out that show we had talked about that kind of gap shortening earlier in the year. He was at like 15 last year, down to like 10%. It seems like it's gotten closer and and it's closer in a very real sense that two polls are supporting that, right, Ed? Or very close yeah, to so, it. Yeah, so two polls have come out in the last two weeks. I wrote a piece for Progress Texas. It's up on our website right now that show that uh, – Beto is closing in on the polls. Now, over 4th of July week, when a lot of the world was taking some time off, including us here at Progress Texas, a poll came out from the Texas Politics Project showing that Beto had narrowed the gap to six points in the race for governor. Uh, Very good news, and we were all eager to jump on that and talk about it in a podcast. And then lo and behold, the very next week, the University of Houston released polling data that showed Beto had narrowed the gap to five points. So, Margin of error, it's essentially the same. He's closed this into the low single, mid single digits. But the thing is that because it's two different polls, it shows you that, you know, this is this is a trend, right? What, what do they say? Um, once is an outlier, twice is a coincidence, three times is a trend. So maybe this is still in the coincidence uh, <laughs> uh, realm, but I, I don't think it is, given how much he has raised and the momentum that his campaign is experiencing, and when you look at the issues that are happening around us in the world right now. By the way, more polling data from the New York Times shows that Democrats are doing better on the generic congressional ballot nationwide. When you just ask people in general, which party do you support for Congress? Democrats are now up by three points over Republicans, whereas they were down 10 points about two months ago. What's changed since then? Obviously, voting rights is a huge issue in this country. Obviously, abortion rights have become a huge, enormous issue in this country. Democracy is an ongoing issue in this country right now, especially with the January 6th hearings going on. Uh, marriage equality is an issue that's about to come back on the table again. And these are all issues that people care deeply about, they're passionate about, and it's making people extremely motivated to vote in these elections. And I hate to ask it so quickly. I mean, since I'm new to this space, is there a real chance that he's able to close this gap even further as we get closer to the election? I know it's a little too close to call, too early to call, maybe, or maybe you need to comment on. But it seems like there is, and people said the blue wave, but there is a, there is a tide here, I feel, with Beto. And I'm, I'm a little excited about it. Yeah, you, got, you always want to be careful about being too excited because in Texas, we, we've gotten close in recent years and every once in a while, it feels like Lucy taking the football away right when we get ready <laughs> to, to right. get close. But um, the, the climate we're in right now is so exceptionally unique that I think that people are mad and they care deeply about the world around them and they see a lot of things happening in the world around them that are not good and they want to do something about it. So there is an opportunity and yes, it does feel like it's real. And, and I'm not sure, I haven't checked this data, but I believe that Beto is closer to Abbott today than he was to Ted Cruz four years ago in his race for U.S. Senate. And that race ended up with a two-point gap. So if you're looking at a similar trajectory, uh, Beto's actually would be outpacing himself from four years ago, which is better news in the end. I think also a really good tactic to close in on that gap is to, for folks that are listening, share this polling information with your friends and family that are still kind of hesitant and on the fence about turning out to the polls. Use the polling to increase turnout. A lot of folks, you know, might still be unsure. A lot of folks actually have asked me too, like, do you think he's actually gonna win? Because they're still thinking about if they're gonna turn out to vote this November. Folks want to vote for a winner. It's happening, the uh, poll numbers are tightening. We need those folks who are undecided, the folks that y'all know, to help go out and close that gap 
eventually in November. And polling can tell, here's the thing, a lot of people have lost faith in the polls over the years, and I completely understand that, it's, it's warranted. This is the one thing people need to understand about polls that is not always conveyed to the public. A poll can measure public opinion. A poll cannot tell you what turnout will be. Turnout is up to us and how motivated we are to showing up. And understanding the difference between measuring a public opinion and predicting turnout is a very important distinction that I hope everyone remembers. And it's, that's why it's important to look at these polls and consider margin of error and what you think reality is compared to those polls as well. There is a science to it. But there is also a reality to it in that it, it can only tell you what you ask it, and it can only do so much. Uh, we're about 100 days out from voting. Uh, we're about 112 days out from the election, which means we're about 100 days out from early vote as of this recording. Um, but it's not just Beto, right? I mean, we have a strong ticket this year. Right. I was going to mention down the line, it looks like there were some other seats as well. Um, Democrat Rochelle Garza uh, is also in the news in terms of her fundraising as well. And Susan Hayes, uh, Diana, do you have some more information regarding those two races? Yes, it is not just Beto who is out raising, which is already super exciting enough and really motivating and ensuring to people who are progressives, Democrats, who really want to beat and kick out Greg Abbott this November. But our other queens are doing so well. And these queens are uh, Rochelle Garza, who's running for attorney general against the evil Ken Paxton with multiple indictments. What is it? Two, three, four, five. Uh, we've lost count. I think it's um, two right. indictments and one FBI investigation. Oh, my God. Thank you for clarifying. My God. We don't want to keep repeating that in the news or here on the show. What will he Uh, do in a third term? Yeah. Oh, my God. God. He can talk himself. (laughs) So if he hasn't reached 10 yet, you know, he'll he'll get there if we don't get him out. Um, But it looks like we will be able to. uh, Rochelle Garza outraised Ken Paxson. That is so amazing. Um, a little bit more about Rochelle. She, she is an amazing Latina out of the Rio Grande Valley, a great progressive. Um, she uh, was on the board of uh, Jane's Due Process, um, w- worked for the ACLU, um, just has an, an attorney. She's just, you know, so amazing, qualified woman um, who's getting that bag right now. Someone else is getting that bag is Susan Hayes, who is running against uh, Sid Miller. Uh, for agricultural commissioner um, and you know I hadn't been too familiar with Sid Miller but apparently he's had some a poor choice of words um, I hear that he uh, had some sort of Jesus shot controversy Ed would you mind explaining what that's about <laughs> what so if, if you guys do not know much about our our notorious uh, Sid Miller our ag commissioner he did something back in it was either 2015 or 2016 he took a trip to Oklahoma to get a Jesus shot. And a Jesus shot is a controversial shot administered by one doctor who I believe has been like, like a, uh, is no longer certified to practice or he, he had some, the doctor himself had some issues. But the Jesus shot claimed to cure all pain for life. This is what? a statewide elected official, folks. And Sid Miller, who himself had competed in rodeos, has had some knee pain and some back pain. So he wanted to get this Jesus shot. Here's the problem. Uh, we paid for it. The taxpayers paid for it. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Sure. He, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why what? Not? So he took a trip up to Oklahoma to get this shot, and then he said he was there to meet with the Oklahoma Ag Commissioner and with some legislators and such. And truth is, the, uh, the Ag Commissioner didn't – he never showed up to a meeting with the Ag Commissioner. Ag Commissioner said he didn't have an appointment. The only meeting he had with legislators was dropping in on the Capitol and walking around and poking his head into offices. It's basically a cover-up for this trip. Um, so we put together oh. a video on it. It's linked in that same article that I wrote this week. And Sid Miller got wind of it. And uh, he turns out he doesn't like Progress Texas too much because he then attacked us in his uh, re-election in 2018 saying, oh, there's this George Soros-funded group that attacked me for this this thing. And it, it was just a complete misunderstanding on my part. I don't know why they had to be so mean to me. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Also, like, if we're a George Soros group, like, when is that George Soros money going to come? I was going to say, say, what? Like, Where's that money? What? <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for my Soros check over here. Yeah, sure. come on. Same. Once again, I'm new here. 
I'm a little new here. I was waiting for those fat checks. I was like, wait a minute. We, we got that kind of money? <laughs> so we've, we've talked a lot about Sid Miller, but let me go back to what Diana was saying about Susan Hayes. Susan yes. Hayes is the Democratic nominee for Ag Commissioner. She's awesome. She lives out in Alpine, which is out in West Texas. She is a farmer. She farms hemp and hops. Yep. Ah. What's not to like about this, right? That and is lovely. she is a cannabis attorney. She also is a co-founder of a group called Jane's Due Process, which helps people who are seeking uh, abortion rights and they might be teenagers from homes where they're unable to tell their parents for one reason or another, um, usually because the parents are involved in some sort of abuse. But uh, Susan Hayes, who has been involved in a multitude of issues for a long time, also understands agriculture extremely well. And again, I'll emphasize, cannabis industry grows hemp, critically important to Texas. It's an issue that we have to embrace. And it starts with having an ag commissioner who wants to make this a priority. Sid Miller recently said he would make it a priority, but he's been in office for eight years and it took a cannabis attorney running against him for him to say he was going to do it. Is he really going to do it? Probably not. Susan Hayes, I think we can count on her to get the job done. The legislature would stop anything that he would would want to to push forward in that department anyway, and I think that's that's kind of the overriding. You know, that's really what we're voting for this year is a, a bit of a check on the completely unhinged GOP-led Texas legislature, who have already said that they plan to continue to multiply exponentially the crazy on the abortion front for sure. Yeah, they're already they're already talking about you know going after uh, women who d- would dare to leave the state. They're talking about going after companies that would dare to fund abortions amongst their uh, their employees. Uh, it feels to me like I, I'll say, you know, backtracking a little bit, you know, I, I have been inwardly rather pessimistic about this run for the Democrats, just based on everything that we've seen in the media, based also on just kind of the historic trend of what tends to happen in the midterms, you know, halfway through a presidential uh, run, you know, typically the president loses some traction in the le- in the legislature. This is some, one of the more predictable trends that you can see, you know, dating way back through American politics. But I think this time, uh, between all the things we've talked about, between abortion and guns and the climate, for Christ's sakes, and especially here in Texas, as the climate relates to the energy sector, I think people are finally, Texans are finally starting to wake up to the fact that one of the big reasons that our energy uh, uh, sector is on such a a sheet of thin ice is because of the way it's been constructed for profits over production. Mm. It's all about money. It's not about people. It's designed that way. And it's real easy to see once you bother to, to look at it. So I hearing these things about uh, Beto's fundraising and all the other fundraising that's happened down the democratic slate. And also the fact that like we've talked about, these are such a bunch of terrific people who are running for these really important offices that have typically been ignored by most Texans. I mean, we had Luke Warford on last week and we talked all about how literally no one knows what the railroad commission does because they don't do railroads. And so that's a whole other ball of wax to handle. Nothing to do but, with railroads. And they, and they do that on purpose to keep people in the dark. And of course, yeah. you, know, you can go back to last week's podcast for a deeper discussion on that. But I am seeing, you know, it, it, it's, it's one of those weird things where so many things seem to be going so sideways in so many different categories and so and existentially sideways when you talk about the climate and, and other factors like that and energy that maybe all this terrible stuff might be happening at a, at a perfect moment for maybe at the last second for some changes to happen in electoral politics in Texas to where we can maybe put a stop to some of these things that are happening. You know, maybe people are waking up, actually. And I think that's the part I've been most pessimistic about is the will Texans finally wake up to what's happening in their state and look below the couple of layers that they are so used to ignoring and see how important things are. You know, you always wonder, like, how bad does it have to get? Mm-hmm. How uh, hot does it have to get? Right. <laughs> and I to feel knock like out the grid. Or cold. How cold does it have or to cold. get? That's <laughs> right. right. All these different areas, we seem to we're we are at tipping points in so many different areas all at once it's really wild you know but but maybe that's what it will finally take for the political winds to change in texas speaking of tipping points diana um when we were talking i want to go back to rochelle garza you mentioned raising more money than our indicted incumbent attorney general ken paxton always say indicted by the way not only did she raise more money than him but in this university of houston poll that came out last week she has closed the gap with him the, the polling gap is only three points among registered voters, uh, and it's only five points among likely voters. It's a 46-41 race. That is phenomenal 
for a down ballot. I mean, attorney general is still fairly high on the ticket, but it's not as prominent as governor. By the way, Mike Collier, running for lieutenant governor in this poll, also a five-point difference um, among likely voters between Mike Collier and Dan Patrick. So these numbers across the board for our three top races, I mean, these are these are good signs for July. And it's just a matter of can they keep this head of steam going into the uh, general election? Yeah, I mean, Rochelle's numbers to me are not a surprise. I think folks have recognized that she is a queen running against a court jester. That's Ken Paxton, a fool. Um, and they want a queen. Well said. Here at the halfway point, a quick note of thanks for listening to the Progress Texas Happy Hour podcast. We're proud to say that over our first year or so, you've helped us build our podcast into one of the top 10% of the most widely heard podcasts in the world. Kind of mind-blowing, but true. And one of the top progressive political podcasts here in Texas. We quite literally could not have done all of this without you. So thank you. And if you're so inclined, there is a quick and easy way to help even more. Find the rating and review section on the podcast platform you use to listen and give us some solid marks. A high rating and a short review of what you get out of the Progress Texas Happy Hour helps us immensely in spreading the word about our podcast organization and mission. So after we wrap today, if you have a couple of minutes, we'd appreciate the help. Thanks again for listening and for all you do to help press progress forward here in the great state of Texas. Moving on to our second segment, Beto's speech at the Texas Democratic Convention. Um, Ed, you mentioned a lot of people wouldn't have probably seen this clip, wouldn't have seen this video. It's actually kind of hard to find, quite frankly. You have to go to Beto's website. You have to go through about 15 minutes of preamble from the speaker before him, and then you get to it. But there's a lot of good stuff there, and you were actually pretty impressed with the actual attack, I guess you can call it, that he had towards Greg Abbott, like the actual going towards him. And so we're going to go clip by clip. We have a couple segments here that we're going to go over that kind of break down how he approaches this speech and, and what we think of it. Greg Abbott is chaos. He is corruption. He is cruelty. And he is incompetence. But he is not Texas and he is not us. Think about this. The inability to keep the lights on or the heat running or the water flowing when the temperature dropped last February and hundreds of our fellow Texans died and he allowed pipeline CEOs and energy traders to make billions of dollars while our fellow Texans were suffering and freezing and then had the audacity to pass the bill on to each and every single one of us with higher utility rates in the form of that Abbott tax that you pay each and every single month. That is not us, nor are we a people that would ever deny women their right to make their own decisions about their own body and their own future. We are not a people who attack teachers, nor do we turn our backs on law enforcement when they beg us not to sign permitless carry into law, which allows almost any Texan to carry a loaded gun publicly without a background check, without any training or any vetting whatsoever. And now, ladies and gentlemen, more cops have been gunned down in this state than in any other. We are not a people that allows those in the custody and care of CPS to sleep in the hallways or on top of the tables or underneath the desks. We don't allow them to be trafficked or raped or to die in our care. More than 100 have lost their lives since the year 2020. Nor do we pursue the parents of transgender children and accuse them of child abuse and try to take their kids from them and turn them over to that failed foster care program. No, ladies and gentlemen, we are none of that. Those are not Texas values. We don't buy into the inflation and the high costs that Greg Abbott is causing right now. $20 billion increase in your property taxes since he took office. Some of the highest utility bills increased in the country so far. And with his stunt on the border, when he shut down all U.S.-Mexico trade for more than a week, the cost of our groceries, what we put on the table, went through the roof. 
We're not for those border stunts of putting migrants on buses or involuntarily activating 10,000 members of the National Guard with but a week to say goodbye to their families, to their jobs, to their kids. We've now learned that eight of those Guard members have lost their lives playing a part in his political stunt at a time that we need solutions. And his attack on democracy, making this the toughest state in the nation, bar none, in which to cast a ballot or to register a, to vote, flies in the face of the service of everyone who's put their lives on the line for this country, defending this very democracy. That is not us. And I hope you agree. We would never, we would never show up in Uvalde the day after 19 children were shot and killed and two teachers lost their lives trying to protect the lives of those kids and tell that community it could have been worse. That may be Greg Abbott, but that is not Texas, and that is not us. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> a, uh, basically, a four-minute broadside of Greg Abbott, which is necessary and, and deserved, but also, like, Beto is a guy who didn't want to go negative in 2018. Yeah. It was one of people's biggest criticisms of his campaign. And not only did he just lay it all out in this speech, but this is the kind of the, the, the way he laid it out here is typically done at the end of a campaign. It's called a closing argument. And he launched into this closing argument by just clotheslining the governor with everything here. That The opening line, he's chaos, corruption, cruelty and incompetence. That sounds like Progress Texas language. That doesn't sound like Beto O'Rourke language. <laughs> Actually, but, those are kind of fighting words. I think they have yeah, to fist fight words. now. Like, they have to fist fight now. <laughs> yeah. I had never thought about the the idea that Greg Abbott, that he said several times Beto did, that is not us. That Greg Abbott it has, has come culturally, uh, emotionally, from a character sort of standpoint, from a policy sort of standpoint, completely detached from what I would say even probably most conservative Texans want. Everybody wants the lights to stay on. You know, everybody wants children to be safe. Everybody wants cops to stay alive. Wow, that, that bit in there that more police have been killed in, in Texas than any other state lately, I had not heard that. And and I'm not sure where that state came from, but that's that's horrifying. And there was even the part where he talked about Child Protective Services, where that one I've read about because I've been posting about it, but a lot of people may gloss over that because it's a hard read to read that in the morning to see that children in Texas custody are dying or are in poor conditions. And by linking that to the trans children attack to get them taken away from their parents into that system, it created this like really visceral feeling in me that was like, these kids are in actual danger, all of them. The ones in currently in and the trans children that are just trying to live, trying to be themselves and the parents and having parents that support them be themselves. I think Beto did a really great job of framing this basically like negative attack, right? A lot of Democrats are criticized for talking a lot more about what they're against versus what they're for, which Beto does later and we'll talk about. Um, but instead of saying they're bad, they did this, they're bad, he made it, he framed it in a way where he said, you know, like you said, Sam, a lot of people have missed certain parts of the news because the news is terrible and it's really hard for people to pay attention to it. But he let right. folks know all of these terrible things that happened that are because of Greg Abbott, that's not us. And so he made it into like a really great way of knowing like these things are terrible and let's talk about them, but that's not who we are. Yeah, I love that framing. That is not us. It's like, it's one thing to say that that guy's a shithead. It's another thing to say that like we have values and that doesn't represent our values and that that is not us is a really interesting uh, way to frame that. And I, I think he did it really well. So that opening line, the, the opening of the speech is... Uh, really just a, an all-out attack on Abbott. The second part of the speech, now we've cut this up into three pieces, the second part goes into a compare and contrast. Imagine a governor who instead of attacking teachers, supports them, pays them enough so they don't have to work a second or a third job just to make ends meet, helps those retired teachers with a cost of living adjustment each and every single year and listens to them when they say that we've got to cancel the star test and replace it with something that actually works. Imagine a governor who will fix the grid by winterizing and weatherizing it, by connecting ERCOT to the national grid, 
by investing in energy efficiency and lowering your utility bills. Imagine a governor who will work with organized labor in the state of Texas and on this great jobs plan that the pipe fitters and the plumbers and the electricians and the steel workers have come up with to make sure that we, need, we lead the next energy revolution, creating the best high quality, high value, high wage jobs right here in the state of Texas and making sure that they are union jobs right here in the state of Texas. A governor who will stand with small business owners to make sure that this is the best place to find innovation and ingenuity and talent, and that we don't run these great people off with the culture wars currently being waged by our current governor. A governor who will stand up for women, making sure not only that they have the right to choose, but they are paid every cent that every man is paid for the same work at the same value and the same hours. A governor who fights for veterans who fought for us and fights to end veterans' homelessness and to reduce veteran suicide right here in the state of Texas. A governor who believes in marriage equality and will fight to keep it the law of the land in this state. A governor who's going to work with Senator Johnson and Representative Johnson to expand Medicaid, bring $10 billion more into our communities each year, connect more people with more doctors, stand up some of those hospitals in rural Texas that have been shut down, and in the bargain, lower your property taxes by reducing the burden of indigent care. Imagine a governor who will no longer put people behind bars for a substance that is legal in most of the rest of the country because we will legalize marijuana in the state of Texas. Imagine a governor who will fight inflation, bring down your property taxes, reduce your utility bills, and make sure that it is affordable to live in the state of Texas. And a governor who's not interested in stunts on the border, but understands that we are a state of immigrants and we should lead the way on immigration solutions that allow people to join their family, to work jobs, to be able to better themselves and better all of us by their very presence in this state. And this, imagine a governor who will fight for those parents and family members in Uvalde, who will fight until they receive justice and transparency and accountability, who will fight until we take the action to stop the next school shooting and these senseless massacres in our communities, universal background checks, red flag laws, safe storage laws, on that much we can all agree. That sounds great. All of that. Sure. <laughs> I, yes. Yes, yeah. please. So like, Yes. <laughs> right. I mean, because my first thought when I hear that speech is like, that's possible? When he says imagine, yeah. I was like, I never even imagined it in Texas, all that stuff. And all that stuff that he's talking about, a broad majority of it is widely popular. You know, marijuana legalization is widely popular. You know, Stopping school mm -hmm. shootings is widely Stop, popular. Stopping <laughs> school shootings, widely popular. And not lying yeah. to people the day after it, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that was kind of the thing. Was we, he was right when he, when he went up to them after Uvalde and said, you guys got to do more. And, and now he's positing that he can do more. And I think that a lot of people need to hear this part in particular. Because they say, what, what can this guy do for me? Well, he has a lot of ideas, and I like those ideas. Yeah. What, what do you guys think? Diana, I'll, I'll pass it to you. I love that he's painting a picture of imagine what, you know, like a governor that would do these great things. And so he's doing two things right there. He is saying, imagine me doing these things in this role. And he's also showing you, um, imagine someone who's not incompetent. He's also showing you what Greg Abbott hasn't done. And so it's amazing, you know, in this you know, one segment of the speech, he's doing two things. And it's such an amazing, cool trick that he's doing. Also, <clears throat> I'm gonna throw out this analogy one more time, even though I hope, I, I hate that, I know that you guys hate when I do it, but I just imagined Beto outside of your window, holding up a speaker box or whatever with music saying, <laughs> you know, take me, dump him. Imagine your future with me. You know, leave him. And I just left this clip thinking, yes, I will leave him. I want that future. I will take you. John Cusack for governor. Yes. Run into his arms in the rain. Need to find a clip of uh, In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel to, to roll through. <laughs> Close the episode on that one this week. I, I like that. Um, so the compare and contrast is great because 
So many times we talk about the things that we're against. We're so used to fighting against things in Texas. And what Beto has done here is told us to imagine having somebody in the governor's seat who supports the things that we are for. And there's the obvious ones. We talked about the school shoot, mentioned school shootings here in passing just a moment ago. Mentioned, he talked about marriage equality, uh, equal pay for women. That's a law that has been on the governor's desk at least once, maybe twice in the past 10 years, and governors wouldn't sign it here. Organized labor, he mentioned pipe fitters. My dad was, was a retired union pipe fitter. Uh, teachers, support for teachers. What a novel idea. Fixing the grid, also a novel idea. What, we can get these things done? It almost seemed impossible. Abbott kind of convinced me it wasn't possible. All these things are not only super popular, but like Ed said, they are very much just common sense, things that are totally possible and, and not real hard to do. And I'll refer you one more time to last week's podcast uh, in which we went into a super deep dive on the problems facing uh, facing the Texas power grid. The two things that Beto brings up here, uh, weatherizing the grid, which would you know primarily, of course, uh, apply during, uh, during the winter, which, of course, we've been bitten real hard by that problem. Problem, has been something that uh, the Texas power generators have simply not done because they don't want to, simply because they don't want to go to the effort, they don't want to go to the expense. There's nothing stopping them from doing it. It's a pretty basic thing to do. Not all that expensive. They just don't want to bother with it because they've never been forced to. And then connecting the Texas power grid to the, uh, the two neighboring uh, U.S. continental grids, probably a little bit more difficult, but absolutely something that should be done to get us out of the stupid cycle of worrying and staring at apps and wondering if the AC is going to stay on when it's 107 degrees outside. Just pretty basic things that I think 99% of Texans would absolutely say, yes, let's do those things. Why the hell haven't we done them? Because the grid is set up for profit, not for people. I will say too, that Beto looks awesome in this. I mean, he's just, I mean, he just, he's, he's really got a, a, he's developed a terrific stage presentation. He's very clear. He's very understandable. He's not histrionic. He's not freaking out. He's laying it out there in a very factual and, and direct, but energized and determined way that I think is, it's, it's statesmanlike. And I'm really impressed with it. That's an interesting observation because I remember in 2018 and to an extent, 2019 is short presidential run. Beto was always good on the stump, but he wasn't as good on the stage. And I'm specifically thinking of his debate with with uh, Ted Cruz in 2018. He was fine, but you know, I mean, that is Ted Cruz's element is the debate stage. Um, the debate stage in 2019 was a little better, but it was just a tougher campaign for him. So there were other hurdles. His gravitas shown in these speeches uh, is much different. And, you know, a reporter, I spoke to a reporter from the Dallas Morning News about a week ago, and he asked me the difference between Beto in 2022 compared to Beto before. Is he better? Is he worse? And I said, I don't want to say he's, I don't want to say he was worse before because I don't think that he was. And I think he's more seasoned now. He's been through, you know, he's seen some things, man. And uh, it's, it's, it's changed him and it's made him, I think, um, a much different type of, of um, statesman. I think maybe more statesmanly. I think this is a moment where he is actually rising to the occasion in, in, in really a kind of a star way, right? He's like a rising star. He's always been one. I, people have always seen him as this guy. Who's this Beto guy? And he's always real popular. And this is the time, I feel, where he's really seeing how big the stakes are and is saying, I'm the guy. I'm putting it on my shoulders, put it on my back. Let's do this. And he's inviting everybody, which I like. Now, that leads us to the ending, which at the end of the speech, it's really that portion where he's saying, we can do this. We believe. Put it on my back. Let's do this. So let's go ahead and take a look at that third clip now. But we can do better than just imagining. Because all this is within our power to accomplish. And I want you to remember this. Not only can we do this. We have done this before against much greater odds. That current attack on democracy that you see here in Texas pales in comparison to what the voters of this state faced almost 100 years ago to the day. In 1923, the state legislature made it illegal for black Texans to participate in our elections. And Lawrence Nixon, a black physician from El Paso, Texas, nonetheless took his poll tax receipt 
to fire station number five on Texas Avenue in El Paso, presented it to the poll judge who said, Dr. Nixon, you know I can't let you vote. And Dr. Nixon replied, I know you can't, but I've got to try. And he took that fight to the local district court, took it all the way up to the Supreme Court, won two signal victories, and 20 years later, and imagine the persistence and the patience and the courage and the strength that that took from him, he helped to win the right to vote here in the state of Texas, integrating our elections. And not only did he do that, I guarantee you, he helped to inspire President Lyndon Baines Johnson when he signed the Voting Rights Act of 1965 into law. That came from the state of Texas as well. And then Ann Richards and Barbara Jordan doing everything within their power literally to let the people in by continuing to expand the franchise. While we look back to veterans with surnames like Navarrete and Lopez who fought fascism half a world away to defend democracy at home, succeeded by other great Texans who sought to make sure that every single one of us, no matter our ethnicity, our race, or our language could vote. People like Willie Velasquez and Rosie Castro, who radically expanded the franchise in the 60s and the 70s. And when it comes to choice and abortion, remember this. Prior to 1973, abortion was outlawed, just like it is today in the state of Texas. But no one rode to our rescue. No one came here from the outside and saved the day. It was Texas women who got it done. Sarah Weddington from Abilene, Texas. Linda Coffey, who lives in Dallas right now, successfully argued Jane Roe's case before an all-male Supreme Court and won that right to privacy that has been enjoyed for the last half century in Texas and every other state in the union. And lest I forget, Freddie Haynes mentioned this attack on history and the full, truthful, honest telling of our story, of all of our stories. Well, we've got a hero who stood up against that and overcome as well. Her name is Opal Lee, 95 years old, lives right over here in Fort Worth, Texas, walked all the way from North Texas to Washington, D.C. to make Juneteenth the first federally recognized holiday in more than three decades in the United States of America. My fellow Democrats, we are the heirs to their service, to their sacrifice, and to their struggle. And what we do with this inheritance will determine our future and define us in the eyes of our kids forever after. Very few generations are afforded the opportunity to fight for the state of Texas when everything, and I mean everything, that we care about is on the line. We should consider ourselves so lucky. And I'll tell you, the answer to this moment is action. It's knocking on doors, it's registering voters, it's talking to our fellow Texans and bringing them into this democracy. It's thinking about the seven million who were eligible but did not vote in 2020 and giving them an invitation to participate in the most important election of their lifetimes. These are the very people targeted by Greg Abbott through voter suppression and voter intimidation. But with your work, they will be the margin of victory on the night of November 8th. We're going to bring them in, and we are going to win this election. Last thing I want to tell you, not only is this possible, not only has this been done before, but it is happening right now. I feel it as I travel this state, and I see it in everything that we can measure. More than 78,000 of you have signed up to knock on doors, to meet your fellow Texans, to do the necessary hard work in this brutal heat to win this race. Today, we just learned that we outraised the sitting governor of Texas by $3 million. Thank you for what you're donating to this campaign. That is working as well. And the polls are showing that we have cut Greg Abbott's lead by 10 points over the last six months. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to do this. I ask you to keep the faith, keep up the fight, and let's get after it, get out there, and go win this thing.
Thank you, Texas Democrats. Les agradezco. Gracias. Thank you. All right, so after that last comment that, uh, that Beto closed with, I loved it. Um, it was a keeping the faith. You know, he, he talked about keeping the faith, and that's so important because so oftentimes it's easy to lose faith here in Texas. It was very reminiscent of Yes, We Can, of the Obama Yes, We Can lines. And I loved that he has paired the dose of reality that he gave earlier in his, his speech with a dose of optimism there at the end. And notice two of the issues he closed with, voting rights and abortion rights, two of the biggest issues in front of us right now. They're very strong issues for Democrats and very weak issues for Republicans. Very, very good thing to end with. Um, I, was, uh, I was impressed with this. He used a line in there that I really liked and talked about being heirs to their service, about the people who came before us these historic fights over voting rights and abortion rights, and us right now being heirs to their service and defending that and upholding that to the extent that we're able to and that the answer is action. Uh, Really strong. The only thing bad about this speech is that it happened at a convention where most people won't see it. So I hope that our our podcast listeners have a chance to listen to something they may have otherwise not have heard. (laughs) And I really, going to that historical aspect, that all the solutions were Texas-grown. I like that, where things were going so bad and things were not as they wanted to be. And Texas said, all right, time for us to deal with it and fix it. So all those examples you gave, Texas grown, Texas women, uh, you know, uh, voting rights, all those things that he was mentioning, uh, abortion rights here. And so the change that we seek, the change that we want can be done here again. I like that message that history is tough. Our history, Texas history is tough. History right now, the times we're living in is tough, are tough, but we can respond. And I like that hope that it's that we can do it. Not anybody else, not anybody coming in, not the Californians with the fat checks, but ourselves knocking on doors, getting people to vote, getting your friends to vote, sharing this podcast so they can hear this speech, doing the things that we need to do to make this dream, this imagined, this imagined idea reality. Just to repeat something that's been said before, but just wanted to emphasize this messaging tip for folks when talking to others about turning out, about any other progressive issue, is that conservatives, you know, Republicans, they lean on fear-based messaging, and that motivates their base. Going negative so hard, you know, pushing that fear, that does not motivate our base when it comes to talking to people and messaging to people on our progressive side. Because we know things are terrible, but we don't want them to be, and we're motivated by that hope, um, by, you know, this vision of a better future. And so it was really amazing to hear Beto do such a great job painting that picture of that vision for, you know, a better Texas. Um, but then to wrap it up in this last clip saying, you know, this is this is a vision, but it's not just this, you know, pipe dream that's never happened before that we just have to really think hard about. But that it's something that's happened before that Texans before us have fought for a lot of these rights and they've won and we can win again. Um, Texans have done it before and Texans will win this again. And then just wrapping it up at the end, saying that it is a privilege to follow in their footsteps and to keep fighting um that you know i hadn't heard that message before and so i think that was you know so inspiring you know for us to instead of you know we we are unfortunate you know victims of greg abbott's failed leadership but to instead of focusing on that victimhood to think about how grateful we should be to have this fight in us and to let that fight and being so grateful for having that fight motivate us to keep going the way things go in Texas is going to be very much uh, uh, functional and uh, and pivotal to the way things go across our country. And so Texas progressives are at a moment not only of a, a historic opportunity to turn things around, but also an existential uh, situation. One thing that Beto said in that last segment was that everything is on the line. And that is very yeah. much the case. You know, in, in normal times, let's, let's you know backtrack five, ten years, 
we, we have all these different areas, all these different issues that we want to move the way we want them to go. We want more progress. We want more freedom. We want more equity. We've gotten to the point now where so many of these things, as we talked about earlier in the podcast and not to rehash them, but so many things are at the breaking point and so many things are at a tipping point, a point of no return from our democracy itself to abortion rights, to the climate, to all these different things. And so we're at a moment where not only is it an opportunity to make history, but history is calling us. History, this, this is this is one of those moments where we must rise. We have no choice but to rise and, and to take this. And luckily we have somebody that really across the board is championing these things that we want. Abortion rights, equal pay, um, you know, child protective services getting funding, teachers getting funding, the weather weatherization of our grid, all that stuff can happen and hopefully will happen. I'm going to put it in the air. I'm going to put my energy out that it will, but energy's not enough. Good juju, the vibes, if you want, but that's not enough. As we always end a lot of these important topics, you got to go vote. got to tell your friends to vote. Go do it. But we have reason to. Uh, these things can change. And I, after the speech, I feel that that is the case. I've always felt like that was the case, but it, we got a good shot right now, I feel. And, and I think that we can end this podcast knowing that we, we, we got a good going. We got a good going right now. And I think that we can take this momentum further, but we just can't let up. So thank you so much, everybody, for joining. Diana, Chris, Ed, thank you all listening. I've been Sam Gonzalez. Thanks for lending your insights. And to everyone listening, thanks for joining us. Once again, head over to progresstexas.org to follow us on social media and subscribe to our email list. If you're listening to us on your favorite podcasting app, be sure to like it. Subscribe to it, follow it, do the five star, do the thumbs up, whatever platform you're on. There's a positive rating. Go ahead and do that for us if you like us and leave us a review that helps other people know what they're getting into when they listen to this podcast. Thank you so much. We will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. The Progress Texas Happy Hour is a production of Progress Texas, a rapid response media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. Find us online at progresstexas.org and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The podcast is produced by me, Chris Mosier, and our featured music is by Walker Lukens. Please be sure and subscribe to the Progress Texas Happy Hour on the podcast platform of your choice. Take a moment to leave us a review if you've enjoyed the show, and be sure and tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening and for all you do to press progress forward here in the Lone Star State. We'll see you again next week.